this week on the Dry Bar Comedy Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm trying to be a stand-up comedian. Would you mind if I tried some jokes on you? And three people go, yes! I go, sorry! And I <laughs> Welcome to the Dry Bar Comedy Podcast. It's me, Taylor Nielsen. Excited to be doing the show, just on my own. You know, lonely. The sentinel of the Dry Bar Comedy Podcast. Jordan Macon is somewhere. Who knows? I don't know. Um, please, if you miss him, let him know in the comments. And especially if you don't miss him, put that in the comments, because that's really what I'd like to hear. <laughs> uh, might as well jump to our guest today, because they're so gosh dang good. Um, let's see a clip and see who it is. So when I was a freshman, first year, four-degree cadet at the Air Force Academy, um, I called my mom every Sunday. And then on Monday, an A-10 fighter plane crashed in Wyoming. Pilots survived, but the plane crashed in Wyoming, which... I don't know if you know this, is not Colorado Springs, Colorado. My commander calls me in his office Tuesday morning, and he says, Cadet Sardui, stand at attention. I was like, yes, sir, ready to go. Whatever he wanted me to do, I was ready. He said, I'm gonna play you a voicemail. And you normally only get phone calls on Sundays, but I need you to go call your mother and explain exactly what you do here. And I was like, oh, I don't want to hear this voicemail. This is going to be bad. This is going to be a bad voicemail. I don't want to hear Here's my mom's voicemail, word for word. Boop. Is my baby okay? Oh, no, I saw the news with the plane crash, and is my baby flying the A-10 Thunderbolt 6? I don't know the number. Please call me back. Click. She didn't leave her name or my name. We had to star 69 her, which is an old timey phrase now. Great. Okay, you know who it is. He's got two specials with Drybar and they're adored across the internet, millions of views. Uh, the first, Cuban Pilot, and then the second, a worthy sequel. Airplanes in broken English. Please give a warm welcome to Jose Sardui. Hey, I talk now? Now I talk? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Dry Bard Podcast. All right. Right above where you filmed your two specials. I know. You're here, I know. you're back. We're in, the, we're in the Angel Studios. Right. Somebody right now has <laughs> headphones on and is listening to curse words. <laughs> I'm going, nope. Actively filtering nope. out. No. Nope. <laughs> I've always wondered about that job. That's that's the most PTSD job in the studio. <laughs> they, 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 it's the only person in the studio, the editor, that cleans up. It's probably the only one that needs a therapist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so many words. Yeah. Just let it out. Just let it out. All the stuff I've seen, everything I've seen, you have yeah. no idea. Day you don't day. even know. <laughs> you don't even know the curse words I've seen. I've seen children say curse words. It hurts me inside. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we're happy to have you back here at Thank Angel you. Studios and, and Drive Our Comedy. Um, that clip right there coming yes. out of the gates. Yeah. Um, there, that clip segues into a hilarious bit about yeah. uh, inspection. That's kind of gone wrong, but then right at the end. Yeah, it's the whole Air Force Academy experience. Like that phone call, it's like word for word because my sister, who is 11 years younger than me, uh, so at the time, 
she's, you know, seven years old. And right. she was standing next to my mom as she made that call. And she said my mom was very upset and she dialed the number and called it. And when she hung up, my sister was like, mom, you didn't leave your name. <laughs> or Pepe's name. They call me Pepe. They didn't, you didn't leave Pepe's name. My mom was like, they'll know. They'll know. <laughs> and, and they did know. They did know because they did... immediately was like, well, this is probably Jose. Anybody else <laughs> in the squadron wouldn't be somebody's baby. So, uh, And then that leads into the inspection story, which, you know, military academies, um, I, 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 it's what I do with a story is I'll take it and I'll have something that's a very simple joke. Right. So this is an eight minute fart joke is what the inspection right. story is. <laughs> yeah. at, at its essence. But it's setting in, in this one place is so unique. And yeah. it's a situation that is, you know, I try to tell it as a story and give you the whole picture of what it what is happening and whatnot. And um, I remember there are jokes that I have written that do not come out of the gate strong. Right. So I, yeah. I yeah, see yeah. myself as a little league coach and all of my jokes are my players. Right, right. And I'll put in a new player and I'll be like, all right, you're batting seventh. Come on. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they hit themselves with the bat. I'm like, ooh, not ready. We need more practice. Get him out of the lineup, right? Yeah. Uh, and then there's other jokes that I put in batting ninth and they hit a, a grand slam right away. And that's one of those jokes. It came, it came out of the womb ready for prime time. I, I have not touched it much since, since... pretty much its inception. Oh, that's awesome. uh, I have touched it up in places, but there are other jokes that. I will spend years trying to get funny and refining. And that one, uh, I was like, well, this one's ready. That's I wrote amazing. it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, were you uh, like, did you have any misgivings about actually doing it? Because you were like, oh, this is a fart joke. I don't know how it's going to play with audiences. Or you were confident in the story? Um, I wasn't thinking of... Um, of like, okay, well, it's just going to be for TV. Because I've done other TV appearances. Right. And I did that joke. And the producers were adamant. Like, we are not putting an eight-minute fart joke on our <laughs> TV show. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but it's a crowd favorite. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Drybar finally was like, yeah, we're going to. And then they of featured course. it. Not only did they, they clipped it out of the special, which got good views. And then they featured it. And as I predicted... It was popular, right? right? And, and it's not like I predicted it because like, oh, ever since I wrote it, I knew it was going to be amazing. It's that I had done the repetition. So I've done that joke 3,000, 4,000 times. Right. And within like two or 300 where it is just, I'm having to close the show with it because it's right. so strong. I go, yeah, this is probably going to be good. And, you know, I, so all the stuff that they do in Hollywood where they, they have to focus group, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a survey, Right. And yeah. what is true about surveys? Most people don't do them. Right. So that's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's the one thing you can get from a survey that's definitive. Most people don't do surveys. So yeah. it's just a sample. And sometimes you hope that it's a good sample of everybody. Yeah. I'd already done all that work for them. I had right. tried this joke across the country in like 30 states and yeah. it had just killed with different audiences or whatever. So I had done the focus group for them. And this TV show was like, nah, we're not putting it on. And Drybar was the first thing that put it up. And it went, it did well. And yeah, so it kind yeah. of justified like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of know what I'm doing in this business. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And the other thing I love about it too, is you have the, it's like a, it's like a great story yeah. on its own because you set up this tension of like, right. you're going to, oh, you're going to get in trouble for the closet. Right. And then you add in these other, 
you know, funny elements and then it's resolved yeah. in the end. It's just like, it's very satisfying. Yeah. The most best satisfying part, fart joke that I've ever yeah. heard. And you don't even know the most satisfying part of it. I'll tell you right now. I would hear. Yeah. I did it at my 20 year reunion <laughs> from the Air Force Academy. And all of the jokes that night I did with uh, specific names of all the people oh my involved. So yeah. my roommate at the time said he was sitting at the table and I was doing this joke, and he started sweating because he's a sweater. He started sweating. Just like in the and he was, in his mind, he was like, please don't say my name. Please don't say my name, Jose. And then I used his name at the end. Yeah. And an extra throwaway line. And the place erupted. The whole table was like, ah! And he was like, ah! That's, so that's the hilarious. culmination of that joke, right? I'd written it like five years prior. Eric had never seen that joke, and Eric got the full brunt that night uh, in the twenty year reunion, and it was pretty great. So <laughs> that, was, awesome. that was the end of that that story for that joke. So that yeah, that adds the extra inside joke yeah. level, and that's something I really appreciate about your comedy is it feels like the way you introduce your family and um, and your situation, it feels like I'm in your world, right? Um, rather than just hearing someone else talk about their yeah. life. It actually feels like you 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 give the information in a way you the voices you do it all creates this kind of cohesive world that you know I feels like I'm a part of when I'm well I got to, to that point right so I I didn't start as a storyteller I started trying to you know punch set a punch set right a right, punch. right right and I got so much experience at talking about things that most people don't know about so most people have never been to war most people have never flown an airplane most right. people have never been to pilot training or been to a military academy. And so I had to very succinctly get the, you know, the exposition yeah. so that they understood enough to get the punchline and then get the punchline. And if they were there, it was even easier for them, right? Right. Um, so it was trying to get an inside joke to be a joke for everybody. And those yeah. skills that I amassed in all my beginning years in stand-up, when I started sw switching into a storytelling format for almost all my jokes, it just helped like I had the foundation right, to right, do right. those jokes. So now when I tell stories, I don't, like I did at the beginning, I would write 12 minutes and then I would try it. And I would, by the time I finished, it was down to 38 seconds. So I was like, well, I got a 38 second new joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I wrote 12 minutes. Now I write the story, how I want to tell it. And then I populate it with punchlines. Right. And sometimes I edit parts out and because they, I consistently can't write the punchline that, that fits. Right, right. But I always want to come back to that. I always yeah. say, ah, keep thinking about it. And then one day I think of it. I'm like, ah, it's back. Now it's no longer a seven and a half minute. Now it's an eight minute joke. So all of that or original stuff is what helped me get to the storytelling, which is what I do now almost exclusively. It's like anything I want to talk about, I put it as a story. Right, right. And do you find writing recently that you're still mining older experiences mm -hmm. or you're more up to date with what you're doing now with your storytelling? It's a little bit of both. So yeah. I tell stuff that have, has happened recently. Uh, like last night, I was in, in Jordan Landing and I did a private party for a construction company and they hired me specifically because I'm bilingual. But nobody told me. So oh, man. half the crowd didn't speak English. And so, <laughs> so I was on stage, I was like, I'm not doing very well. I, I'm so sorry for this party. You know, they, maybe they didn't want a comedian. Whatever. Yeah, and then yeah. afterwards they're like, Half the crowd doesn't speak English. You did really great. I was like, you know, that was, was good like, information to have before the set, you know, because I've actually done jokes in Mexico and in Spanish oh, and all awesome. that. And, and I, uh, I was the 
warm-up comic for uh, on Telemundo for the show The Voice, but in Spanish with kids, La Voz, kids, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Which was one of the only five words my grandmother knew in English. <laughs> like, she, she knew kids because I was on that show. She, she knew, uh, hello, Jess, uh, Michael, because it's my dad's name, she, Miguel, uh, Michael, uh, and then kids. Those are the only four words she knew, uh, wow. or five. I don't remember the, the fifth one. It might have been like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. How much, um, how much work does it take to translate your act into Spanish? Uh, when I first started, uh, it was fascinating because the punchlines don't get the laugh as much as the setup. So you had to restructure the joke because of the different language structures. So right, you right, see right. the way that the, you know, that a sentence is constructed in English versus the way that's constructed in Spanish. Uh, it was fascinating to me because I would get this laugh on the setup. I'm like, oh, this is going, this is going to be good. Uh-huh. It's going to be good. And then I get to the punchline and they're like, <laughs> and I'm like what happened? Um, and so I had to redo the joke in a different way. Yeah. And it's the same, the same idea. But you have to um, adhere to the language. And then there's different uh, dialects, right? So right, if you're doing right. a mostly Mexican crowd, there's different terms for different things. Whereas if you're doing a you know Caribbean Spanish yeah. crowd, there's different terms. And, and uh, so that was a fascinating thing to get done. And I've done probably maybe 20, 25 shows in Spanish. Uh, and it's every time I'm up there, I'm always learning. Yeah. So that's interesting. Is part of it kind of like you're... N- translating it into another language you have to be mm-hmm. careful what words you choose because they mm-hmm. have different meanings and it might give away the punchline yeah in the setup yeah well like i'll give an example i was i was on tour with um al madrigal so i was opening for him okay uh in atlanta and he got it because he's mexican but his joke is all about it's like do you speak spanish he's like poquito because he doesn't speak any really right, right right and so we go to this spanish mexican station to advertise for him to come out to the punchline, the old punchline in Atlanta. And um, they basically, I basically talked most of the time. Right. And, um, and I was doing my jokes and it was getting laughs. And then there's the joke about the turtle, uh, where my mom snuck a turtle into the United States right, 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 right. in her bra. And I called it an ajustador, which is what Cubans call it, but Mexicans call it brasir. Oh, okay. So it's a totally different word, not even close in sounding. So when I said lo tenían su ajustador, they all blinked. You know that the like I don't know that word. That's, yeah, that's an adjuster in my mind. Oh, interesting. Which it is, but yeah. it's the you know it's the it's the chest adjuster. Right, right, right. To be nice on driver. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I was like, ooh, okay, I gotta I gotta focus on different words. And then I did the chicken joke where my mom killed a chicken right. and that one immediately killed. But at the beginning I expressed something about how my mom, you know, like I didn't mess with her uh, because that's, you know, because she killed a chicken with her brain. And that got the best laugh right. of the whole joke until the act out. So uh, that was not even, that was like a throwaway kind yeah. of a setup punch, you know, where it's just a chuckle before you go into the main laughs. And it was the main laugh in when I did it in, uh, I think I was in Cabo at a comedy festival, and so it was like all these lessons. Like, okay, when I when I rewrite it, it's it's not just about saying it in Spanish. There yeah. are words and there is sentence structure to worry about, and then there's also the sensibilities of the culture. Like right, how do right, right. how does the culture tell jokes? And so I watched a lot of my buddies that were 
that were like uh, Comedy Central Spanish comedians. Yeah. Just yeah. to get more hints on like, oh, okay, I wouldn't have built that joke that way kind of thing. Right. And then go back to my act and, and change it around. So it was, it was a fascinating exercise. When you did that uh, or like tr tried to rewrite your stuff for Spanish audience, did it at all like bring you back to speaking Spanish at home in your upbringing? I mean, you, so you moved from Cuba mm -hmm. at three, yeah, right? Yeah. So were you speaking Spanish growing up at home? Yeah, I still do. Okay. Yeah. My, mom, my mom is like, it's, she says, I'm in Cristiano, which is speak to me in Christian. I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Christians did not speak Spanish. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was Aramaic, but also Greek. So none of those are Spanish. That's interesting. Um, uh, so yeah, at home we speak in Spanish. My dad is always trying to work on his English, so I'll speak to him in Spanish, and he'll talk to me in English. Interesting. Um, so that's that's a little different. But mom, it's like you know, we speak English if there are English speakers in the house right. to not be rude to them. But otherwise, we don't speak in English. You know. So the the interesting thing about it was, especially when I was doing Telemundo, uh, I just turned everything into Spanish. So I had Spanish radio on. I had my GPS on Spanish. All the, all the like the the car displays, right. everything on my computer, all was in Spanish. So I was just kind of immersed. Yeah, yeah So yeah, that yeah. I could have, I could be quick on the draw because uh, I was the warm up comedian for the show. Right, right. And so um, that's when I discovered that the um, the lady that does the voice for Google Maps uh, in Spanish should have just uh, she. She doesn't translate everything. <laughs> Something she says with an with an accent, like there's no Spanish for boulevard, right? So she would say "Toma izquierda" and "Santoma Boulevard." It's like it's, <laughs> just like this excessive accent on the thing, and I was like, "That's unnecessary." Just, <laughs> you know how to say it in English, just say it in English. Right? Um, and so that was that was interesting. But uh, I think the 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 big thing that got me. When I was uh, trying to trying to move the act over, right. was that um, a lot of the the basic Spanish, so like the Spanish from Spain proper grammatical thing, is what I lean on. It's the Spanish yeah. that everybody understands. And so when right. I tell the joke, I found the the easiest way was to not rewrite it for each particular dialect, but just do it in like the most basic Spanish I could. So that I wouldn't have to keep rewriting it every time. So I've, it was the most efficient thing I could do. And then, um, unfortunately, that reduces some of the punch. Uh, right. Because yeah. for, for that particular culture. But if you have a mixed culture of people, then it gets a bigger laugh. So I would prefer being inclusive rather than, you know, specifically totally, the crowd. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Rather than doing a word that you know might be funnier to this specific group. Right. Something. It's almost like when I tell jokes for military members. So I'll, yeah. do, I'll do veterans events. And there'll be veterans there, uh, but I don't cater the jokes just to them. So I right. have them laughing with the audience that has never served or, you know, only knows that through like their dad, who doesn't really talk about their job. It's just like, I see my dad in uniform when he comes home, but it, he doesn't really talk about what he did. Right. So um, it's kind of the same mentality. It's like, I'm always cool. trying to get everybody laughing. You know, there's comedians that make the back of the room laugh, which is, you know, they tell jokes to make the other comedians laugh, right? Which a lot of time does not translate to the audience because we have a little bit of a darker sense of humor. Totally, I'm not that guy. I yeah, like, yeah. I want the back of the room laugh too, but I want everybody laughing together, and so that's always been my philosophy. Right, and that seems like it would be the hardest to do is reaching everybody. 
Uh, yes, especially when you're doing open mics, because right. guess who's at open mics? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just comedians. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. You gotta weigh it and like, all right, it made the it make the comics ju- chuckle. And let's, but then when you do a weekend show, audience, yeah, let's like, try in front of a paid, you know, regular yeah. civilian crowd, and then they get a big laugh, and to me that's good enough. If the comedians are chuckling, I'm like that's not bad, right? And the rest yeah. of the audience loves it. I'm like that's good. Uh, there are jokes that the comedians love, and the audience just chuckles. And I don't do a lot of those, but I keep them because that's for you guys. <laughs> right, right, right. That's great. Yeah, that's funny. Um, so l- let's talk a little bit about your your path to comedy. I guess mm-hmm. we can't talk about that really until we talk about your <laughs> your upbringing in Air Force. Yeah. Um, but how? Yeah. So you you come from Cuba. Mm-hmm. You're deported from Cuba. At yeah, age so three. people people have said like, ah, "Were you really deported?" And I was like, "Technically, we were," because my dad was let out of prison. Uh, he was released in 77. Right. Um, and we didn't leave for three years. Uh, but it was like a rough time. Like our family, our family got spit on and my, yeah. dad, my family, my dad couldn't get a job. My mom got fired from her job for being married to him. And, uh, and we were trying to get out. So we had tickets and we were going to fly to Jamaica and then up to uh, live with my godparents in uh, Rochester, New York. And okay. so that was the plan. Um, and then the Mario Boatlift happened, which have you ever seen Scarface, <laughs> which if Angel Studios could get Scarface out, I would be like, that movie would be 45 minutes long because <laughs> it is loaded with curse words. Yeah. So, uh, that was how my family came in the Mario Boatlift, which was essentially, uh, Castro said, Hey, if you want to pick up your family, you can bring them down. Your minimum boat size is this, and you got to take whoever we put in the boat besides okay. your family and you get a limit to how many people because uh, they the i think carter had kind of opened the the hey whoever wants to come to the u.s from cuba send them right and so castro just basically opened his mental institutions and prisons and sent all of them and then among them were all the pr- political prisoners so my dad had been a political prisoner and wow. so they took away our tickets to jamaica and they said you can't leave uh unless you go through the deportation process, essentially. Man. They're getting kicked out through here. So it was like a bitter girlfriend. Like, you're not breaking up with me. I'm breaking up with you. So we got we got put in the internment camps and had to go through the, the whole with thing. With the uh, prisoners. And yeah. The, um, yeah. So that's how we got to the yeah. U.S. And we, you know, got into, you know, Florida. And, and then we moved to Rochester, New York, just shortly after that to live with my godparents. So that was the, the path here. So wow. technically, yes, deported. Although we you kind of chose it rather than stay so but it is it is the hey get out <laughs> so i i think that counts as deportation when your own country says get out that's yeah yeah <laughs> i'd say so and then we grew up i grew up in um most of miami florida but we lived in rochester for about a year and then we lived in san juan puerto rico for a year my dad was just looking for jobs everywhere and then we settled in miami in a bunch of places uh and then my parents divorced and my mom married my stepfather and then that's when i really settled and kind of had the most time in one place in Miami Springs, Florida. Okay. And um, and then from there, that's when I went to the Air Force Academy. And all that time, what I discovered about my family was that humor was our way to get through stuff, right? Getting right. deported from your own country and then not being able to see your parents and, you know, and your cousins and your aunts and uncles. Uh, it was hard, right? That is a hard thing. But we always joked about it. That's how we got through it. That's cool. You know? And were you finding you were kind of the family clown of the bunch not. or no, no no 
my mom was. My mom is funny. My dad's funny. Uh, my stepfather's funny too. He's he's more of like a like a dry humor kind of Will Ferrell kind of comedian. Like he's really quiet, and then he yeah. pipes in, and you're like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. Like he's this very distinguished man, right? He's he was a Venezuelan fighter pilot, and he uh, worked for Eastern for many years. And we we were coming out of Spider Man, and I was like, did you like the movie, Dad? He's like, yeah. Right, this old man doing this, right? <laughs> Just made me laugh so hard. Um, so everybody I, I was around was funny. Um, and so I, I kind of osmosis picked You were up. watching them do it and kind yeah. of learning what to do. Yeah. yeah. And I never thought I would be a comedian because right. I was a nerdy kid and, and, um, and I was trying to be an astronaut. But I was inside joke funny. So right. I had the skills of the inside joke teller. Which, <laughs> and it was so extreme that, you know, some inside joke tellers... People will listen and be like, oh, okay, I see what they're saying. Nobody ever, uh, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like was, the, least in, the least accessible the kind least of comedy. The least accessible inside joke teller of all time. But if, I, if we'd experienced something together, I could make you laugh retelling the story. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was, this, it was kind of stories from early on that you were... Yeah, was yeah. Your... So that was a thing. And, um, and I, I just, just weird when, when, you, when you don't care about the audience, when you care about the story... Yeah. I didn't, I probably got laughs in an inside joke story, very, you know, sparsely distributed, but I right. needed to tell this part of the story. That was important to me. And as I got, you know, into stand-up comedy, I go, that's not what's important. <laughs> right. You, need, you only tell that part if that part's going to get a laugh, but otherwise, why is it important to you, right? Yeah. Uh, so I didn't have all the things that it's stand-up that would think, that would make me think, I should be a stand-up comedian. Um, and so when it finally hit me, I was, you know, the astronaut program was not going to work out for me because it uh, turns out it's hard. <laughs> I can <laughs> I was, imagine. <laughs> I was not competitive. Um, and, and I was kind of looking for something else. That's when it happened. I was in Urbana-Champaign, Illinois. I was uh, hanging out with a lady I was uh, dating at the time. And I was introduced to her friends who had never met me before. And they all wanted to know about me. And I tried to tell joke jokes that I knew. Or something like that. And they were like, no, they were not having it. They wanted my inside stories. And I was like, uh. You know, that she I, had told them about. Before, no, no, no. Or... Just like about me. Okay. And I was like, all I have is inside joke stories. And I'm, they're not insiders. This is mm-hmm. going to be bad. But I had had just enough alcohol. The right, the right <laughs> level. Right? Where you're just a good pool player. Yeah. Right? Where if you go past that, you like hit yourself with the stick. <laughs> um, so I, I just, I went for it. And I spoke for 10 minutes. I remember I spoke for 10 minutes. And one guy shot beer out of his nose. This lady fell out of her stool like onto the ground. People around us started like talking less to their friends and kind of leaning in and listening to the story. I was killing it. Right, right. Bar. And never had I done that. Never had I been funny to strangers. Yeah. So uh, that's when I went to the bathroom and I was like, what was that? Yeah, and that's when it that's when it was born right there. So really, yeah. and and you just you were you just thought maybe I'll try stand up. Well, is... I wanted to look into it because I I love stand up. I was a stand up fan. Okay, and I was I was one of those fans in the audience. Like I was like just mesmerized by the comedian. And when someone heckled, I was like, How could you? Do? you this is a live performance. What are you doing? Yeah. And then when the comedian would put down the heckler, I'd be like, You're so amazing. You're so. <laughs> I was just gushing with pride for them. Um, so I always loved stand-up, but I didn't want to ruin the art form, right? I didn't want to be a non-funny person, which, you know, muddies oh, yeah. the water, right? So Yeah. Did uh, you feel like watching them, like, I have no idea how they do this? 
I didn't know about writing, how you write the jokes, how you, you know, uh, how you get to that. Yeah. I understood it was a different speech pattern. Would you say that being an astronaut seemed more achievable than being a comedian? Uh, no. Uh, well, I, I, I didn't know what was required. Right. Um, once I looked into it, no. You're going to be a stand-up comic. All, because it's a, uh, except for like the, the big money jobs, yeah. where there's a big moat between like a working comic and then making big money. Uh, but just being a working comic is pretty meritocracy. Uh, right. it's, a, it's a merit-based situation. If you're funny, you're going to get work. Right. Unless you're like a super horrible human being. <laughs> and even then, if you're funny enough, that they're like, okay, I hate you, but get up there, you know? Right. Um, and so I looked into what it took to write jokes and, and everything I found out about stand-up was hard. Yeah. Most people suck at first. Like you're just, everybody's, you don't get any laughs. Totally, totally. You, you're just terrible at it. Uh, you have to spend nights like practicing every night, getting on stage, having people not laugh at you. You have to be out every night at the bars doing this stuff. Uh, once you start working, you're like always gone. So you don't have any like consistent family life or home right. life. And every time, everything I found out, I was like, that sounds awesome. Like, <laughs> the things that everybody would hate. I was just like, this sounds great. I would love that. And he's like, oh, you're just always in airports. Like, that's, that's awesome. You, lo you yeah. love airplane. I love, I've loved going to the airport too. Yeah. So I was like, they have really great like restaurants. I love it. So, uh, everything about stand up I yeah. loved. Uh, and so I wrote for six months and then I set up, you know, New York Comedy Club, October, October 20th, 2003. Uh, Monday night, uh, I went in. There were three hardened New York comics um, and they were not having anything. None of my jokes hit. I got one legitimate chuckle. All three of them, and when it's when it happens like that, they didn't, they couldn't help themselves. They all went. <laughs> I was like, "That's it. <laughs> I'm a comedian, right?" Right. Uh, and that was it. I started um, going consistently after that. It helped that my airplane was so old uh, in the Air Force that it was retiring, so its okay. missions started dwindling, and we had less missions to go on, and so I had more chances to go to New York and practice. And I feel uh, that I should apologize. Uh, to anybody that I knew at the time or that I worked with because I was so annoying. I'm aware of that now. I'm aware that I was annoying. I'd be hanging out with my friends and I would say something funny and then I'm like, oh, wait, wait. and then I'd have to get a napkin and just break all conversation and write that Man. down. Uh, coworkers would see me coming and they'd be like, I have, to, I have to find something to do. And I learned that you didn't, you know, spring it on them. Uh, right. It took me a while to learn that. Social cues. Don't just spring jokes on people yeah. in mid-conversation. You need a willing audience. Yeah. Of. And so that's why I apologize to any cashier uh, around 2003 <laughs> to 2004 because you were you a captive a, audience. You had a cool whip bit or yeah, something you were trying to I think to I'm the, the reason we have those uh, self-checkout <laughs> self things. They, yeah. they were complaining. Walmart met and they're yeah, like, hey, Walmart's we're... Like, we're, We're losing cashiers left and right. us with jokes uh, <laughs> that they wrote and they're awful. Can we get some system? Like, we'll work on it. And, um, and so I, I remember I had coworkers and I had, when I first started, I probably had like a one in 50 success rate. Right. So they would just, <clears throat> you could see themselves gird themselves for an awful experience. When I was like, can I try a joke on there? And they're like, sure, go ahead, Jose. And when it hit, it was like, <laughs> that one was funny. You wrote that? Like it was, uh, it was painful. So again, I, 
public apology to anybody in my life at the time. That's two, that, that was what, 2000 and... 2003 to 2004. Wow. Yeah. But I was able to generate material quickly. Just um, by doing it in the... Just over and over and annoying everybody that I knew. My first Actually, I would never have the courage to do that. My first... Well... Uh, sometimes the courage is not the problem. Uh, it's just, I don't like making people uncomfortable if right. I know they're uncomfortable, right, but right, I was right. not reading the social cues. Like I heard that, uh, Bernie Mac, um, when he was in Chicago, he would get on a soapbox in the park and just start talking to people Jeez. walking by. Right. That's how he started. He started. Yeah. And that's how he got so fast and really good. So one time I was on the, I was on the train going from, we were going from Philly up to New York. And uh, the, it was kind of empty. And I stood up and I go, hey, everybody, I'm trying to be a stand-up comedian. Would you mind if I tried some jokes on you? And three people go, yes. I go, sorry. And I <laughs> so I was like, I am not Bernie Mac is what oh, I discovered man. that day. That's not what you picture when you're like, I want to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll tell my jokes so people will love it. No. If At you... first, it's very rough. There, yeah. I mean, I have, I have a friend who said uh, he went up the first time and killed He's right. like, I'm a natural. I'm the next Dave Chappelle, you know, whatever. And then he had his second show. And he was like, after that second show, I ate it so bad. Yeah. I did not do stand-up for three weeks because <laughs> it hurt me so hard. I was like, Jeez. I guess it's better to start terrible and then move up rather than start yeah. at this high and think you're good. So Right. I think that happens with a lot of comics is you bring maybe to a bringer show, you bring all your friends. Oh, and- bringer shows. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I lost so many friendships. Uh, I I remember my friend. Uh, we we did a bringer show and it was so bad. It was two hours and forty five minutes of bringer show. We missed the train, so we had to take the we 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 had to go sleep in the train station and ride the early morning train back. Your down. friend did too. Yeah, all three of us. Oh my and gosh. Uh, and my friend was like, "Never invite me to a show." <laughs> Ever again? Do you, un- oh, do you understand me? Scenario. Do you understand me? I was like, yeah, sorry. That's so funny. So I was working. I was actually a working comic uh, two and a half years later, and I was inviting people to show. And I remember he walked up. I was like, "You have a show?" I was like, "Yes, it's a real one. It's in ninety minutes tops. Ninety minutes. Yeah, like you get tickets and you go. And I'm gonna be third. You know exactly when I'm going." And he's like, "I'll give you a chance." So that guy took three years to get him back to a show. And Amazing. afterwards, he was like, I'm really glad you found that, Jose. That was really awesome. And I was like, "Wow, redemption. Redemption is mine. That's so funny. Because it was so bad. I didn't know how, how bringers worked. Yeah. And so it was, it was a four-hour show. And they would sprinkle in their working comics to keep the show going because all their new people were going to be terrible. Yeah. But whoever brought the most people went last because they wanted to keep the audience there. <laughs> So I had two people, so they kept me yeah. around. Some people yeah. like only brought like one, whatever. So I was one, like I was not at the end. So I wasn't even at the end, <laughs> which is terrible. So it was a, uh, it's it's a hard experience when you're a stand up comic, and I didn't mind. That whole experience was fun to me. It just I hated that I ruined that night for my friend. Yeah, it it was always tough for me when I would bring someone to a show and then they would just like say something innocuous something like didn't mean anything after yeah like yeah. wow yeah you wrote all that you know something? <laughs> it's like it's like okay you're being nice yeah they couldn't think of anything they're just yeah. like 
that was a thing that yeah. we just did. We just did a thing. <laughs> uh, like, oh no, yeah. they hate. Oh, so me. that's what a show's like. That's what a show's <laughs> like. All right, nice. I don't have to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever have uh, a friend you brought want to try stand up as well? Um, I don't think I've ever had that. And I've, I've, it's, I've tried mentoring young comics, right. and they have never made it. Um, I try not I, to take that personally. I, I don't like. I don't. I don't call it like a young comic that oh that they're the next big thing. I'm not the person to call that. I've 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 tried and the I reverse have intuition. Terror, yes, yeah. <laughs> if I think you're good, you're probably not good. you don't have it. Well, it would be a guy, someone that I would see and I would love their comedy, and I saw them in one particular setting, but that was the only setting that they did mm-hmm. well on. Even though I look for consistency. And then I took them to a, a another show, and I vouched for them. And then they did not do well. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I got a, I got a, I got a broken, I got a broken picker. I gotta go fix my picker. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's so funny. So I've, and then I've had comedians like, could you help me, like help me write and mentor me? I was like, I will give you a warning that everyone that has asked me this before has left stand up. That. So yes, I'll help you, but just realize I'm yeah. bad. I'm bad. You're like the curse Jedi master. That's right. <laughs> All of his padawans <laughs> All die. His padawans end up becoming accountants <laughs> for the for the empire. Yeah. They're like, actually, yeah, the empire makes a lot of sense. The empire, so yeah. Sense you know what? This. I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> You're a terrible teacher. Uh. <laughs> so so then you so you were working comic, right? Yeah. And uh, how do you find your way to the dry bar stage after? Uh, everything, um, and this is what I pass on to, to uh, comics that have already gotten funny. That I can mentor, at least with the business side. But right. if you are just trying to get funny, apparently I'm terrible. <laughs> but once you, you are funny and you want advice on the business, that's what I tell us. Like, I did not like networking. I don't like that. I don't like selling myself. I'd yeah. rather just let the work speak for itself. Right. But you have to learn that. That is an invaluable skill because yeah. um, uh, Keith saw me, yeah. right, mm-hmm. uh, at the Seattle International Comedy Competition okay. in 2009. Was he right. living there at the time? No, he, he, I think he was one of the judges. Okay. So they brought him in as one of the judges. And, um, and I took fourth. Uh, and that was, that, I just didn't, I didn't. I should have gotten higher than that, but I didn't play the finals very well. Right. Um, and that's you know one of those things when you assess your strategy to beat all the other members of the that group. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't assess that. I was really the only one that was able to go clean and be funny. And okay. if I had established that from the beginning, I I could have done much better in the finals. But I didn't. And right. so, you know. And then a couple things set me back. So, um, but he saw me one of the nights that I did really well. And so um, Keith invited me to the uh, Rocky Mountain Laugh-Off in okay. 2011, and then I won that. Uh, and then I did Wise Guys a couple times, and it's you know funny story. I went into Ogden, and I, I was doing my set at the time, and I noticed this one lady in the front. She would be laughing, and then she would go like this. <laughs> and I was like, is, is that a tick or something? <laughs> I don't know. I was about 15 minutes into my set. And every time I, and then she's it's doing that periodically. And then I realized I put two and two together. It's like every time I curse, that's oh. it. Like it totally makes her not enjoy the experience. So I 
stopped cursing the rest of the set and she laughed the whole time. And right. I came backstage and afterwards I was like, yeah, that, that, that lady's really attached to cursing. And, the, and then the, the manager was like, yeah, you're not supposed to curse at this club. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was, like, I was like, oh, well, that's a memo you need to send. Um, right. And uh, and so I, I, I started, I thought that's why I stopped working for Wise Guys for a while, but I think it's just because I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, push them that much. But then years later, my manager was like, hey, they're doing dry bar. Do you want me to ask for you? I was like, yeah. And Keith was like, oh, of course. Because he remembered me from all that past that we had. And totally. I, I probably could have engaged earlier to do it, but you see that step-step process that was like 11 years to get to that place. So every right. interaction you have, every show you do, every hand you shake can eventually become something. Lead you know? an opportunity yeah. later. Yeah. So cool. that's, I mean, that's how I got my TV show. Um, like every, almost everything I've ever been cast in, somebody wrote it for me. Right. And then I went in an audition and they were like, you know, like, wasn't he good? Like, yeah, he was amazing. And I was like, I wonder why they wrote the part for me. Right. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's how I got to dry bar, just networking over a lot of years. Cool. Yeah. And so maybe I'm wrong, but was that special for special film 2020? Yeah. Before? Yeah. Yeah. February, 2020. Wow. That is my uh, manager narrow margin after it happened. And they said, yeah, we're going to probably put it in the next season. And then they were like, that was really strong. We're going to try and get it at the end of this season. And I was like, okay, good. That's a good sign. And my manager was getting word from them. And and he was like, Hey, uh, when are you going to retire from the air force? And I was like, I don't know. I can retire whenever I want. It's just whenever it makes sense. And he's like, you should probably retire. This year is going to be huge. (laughs) 2020 is going to be huge. Uh, And then everything (laughs) shut down and it was July and we were were trying to get streaming shows going and, uh, you know, like a streaming comedy set thing. And my manager was talking to me and then at the end of the conversation, he's like, it's a good thing you didn't retire from the Air Force. I was like, yeah, yeah. I've been been working for six months (laughs) on Lieutenant (laughs) Colonel pay full time. Yeah, it's nice. (laughs) Yeah, close one. Yeah, so now now everybody's like, when are you going to leave the Air Force? Like when they pull me, like scraping through the the <laughs> rug. No, I don't want to leave. <laughs> so that may be how it works out. Well, that that is great. And I mean, I feel like Drybar kind of had a huge thing, obviously, during the pandemic because people, right. everyone was home. Right. And we saw a lot of people were just like desperate for that live comedy experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they couldn't and then also be live. You know, forget about what was going on. Totally. I think it was interesting though. Like I always thought if I was in isolation that I would, I would be so productive. Uh, Oh, I would learn languages and you know, I'd go back and really nail derivatives. You know, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't ever get derivatives. Uh, So I'm gonna go back and just get all, (laughs) I'm a bone up on my calculus. Uh, I wrote one joke <laughs> in six Man. months. There's one, I have a 45 second bit that I wrote in six months. Uh, so no, I was not very productive at all. But, but I eventually um, got back in, into writing and, and we started streaming shows. And I was on the road September. It's the first live gig I did. Uh, Sweet. Right that year. So you do some, did you do any Zoom shows in that time? Period? I did. Yeah, I did a couple of Zoom shows and. How were those? Uh, I mean, I had done my own streaming show okay, where it was like on YouTube and I would prefer their comments. And I'd done the joke so often that I knew when they were supposed to laugh, right? So I didn't really care. So we would do a Zoom show and all the comedians like, hey, make sure your mic is on so we can hear your laughter. And then they get to me. I'm like, I don't care. Turn it off. I'd, I'd rather not hear your laughter. 
Yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to hear when you're five people. I don't want to hear when your phone goes off. I don't want to hear <laughs> when you get a phone call and you forget that you're on Zoom. I'd rather just you, mute it for me, just for me. And uh, so it was. It was an interesting experience. It was. Um, it's like I, I'm gonna tell jokes at a business meeting. That's what that's what Zoom <laughs> kind of brought you back to those old <laughs> days of testing out jokes on your coworkers. Yes, <laughs> yes, because I did a couple of like theme shows, so write specific material for this oh, set. So not any of your old jokes, just the theme jokes, and uh, and that was I think Zoom was perfect for that, right? Because right? it's like this kind of like very low, um, low consequence open mic is what it wor- right. worked out to be. So. Well, that's great. And you were able to come back after the uh, pandemic and do uh, another special, which was... Yeah, that was really great that they invited me back. Um, And so the first one, I'd really done a lot of the family-friendly stuff. And so the second one, I was like, hey, I have two shows when I do like cruise ships. I have the family-friendly and then I have clean for adults. Right. Right. So it's... the, The kids can be there. But they're going to be like, I don't I don't get it. Right. And so I thought, let's do that one for the second show. And so that's what uh, Airplanes, and Broken English, English, Airplanes and Broken English was, was just like my adult clean uh, set. So it had a little bit more, you know, adult material. Right. A lot less fart jokes, you know. Yeah. That's how, uh, that's how, I, that's how I break it up normally. <laughs> fart joke. I got my 90 minutes of fart jokes. That's right. And then I got my... Uh... Yeah. Well, fart jokes at any time where I'm doing this, right, where I'm moving around. Because yeah. people would email me what their kids were doing. I was like, what are your, what are children liking about my set? And there was a, a two-year-old that they were like, what do you want on TV? Like blue man. And that was me. That was in my blue shirt. Blue man. Blue man. man. And then there's a kid and, you know, I talk about, you know, the, the, when I show up to that house in Texas and the dad was like, we thought you was going to be like a real Jose. Okay, yeah. And I was like, did you think I was coming in the door with maracas? I'm here today, your daughter. <laughs> right. And this lady wrote me that her five-year-old Whenever they go to a new house and the door opens, he walks in. I'm here today, your daughter. And he like dances nice. across the thing. And they're like, this is dry bar. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always been fascinated with what kids kind of attach themselves to uh, when they watch my set. But I, 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 I did it because it's visually, I'm moving around a lot. Right, it's very physicality. Anim- very animated, right? Yeah. I, so that's also part of the family friendly. Whereas... The the adult clean one is a lot more discussion and cerebral, right? Which you know sometimes it'll bore kids and stuff. So yeah, that's that's how I break it up when I'm doing shows specifically multiple clean shows. Cool. Uh, and now I'm working on a new album, and it's it's going to be called uh, No Way Jose. It's Sweet. Uh, it's all nerdy topics. So I'm just going to talk about it's a um, one hour essentially trying to be a funny TED talk. <laughs> Oh, quick, and all cool. my, yeah, because I grew up a nerdy kid, and so this is all going to be all my favorite uh, material about aeronautical engineering and orbital dynamics and evolution and just all the topics that I find fascinating about science. So that's going to be the next album. Wow, I'm excited for that. You, yeah, you're slowly each special's going up in um... difficulty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's the whole plan. It's like eventually. I'm going to be a mime. I'll do uh, <laughs> mime stand-up comedy. Just really challenge myself with this album. <laughs> just come out and write equations. Yeah, the, it will, <laughs> the mime album, you have to watch it. Uh, you can, <laughs> the audio version is pretty slow. <laughs> well, that is, is awesome. And uh, I can't wait for the, the new special. Do you right. have any idea when that's... Uh, I put a fire under my butt to get it written uh, and recorded by November of 24. Cool. So that's the plan. Uh, I got about, uh, it depends on the night. 
uh, obviously grows and expands. So I got about 12, 15 minutes of it written right now. And that's what I'm workshopping on the road, uh, wherever I go. And so, uh, I got a bunch of venues where I have to be clean. So Ogden tomorrow, I'm on a cruise ship after this. And then, um, got a bunch of, uh, kind of family friendly locations that I'm going to be doing in January and all that. So I'll have a lot of opportunity to really try it out. And I just, I feel bad for those audiences because they're going to get, you're going to be part of the process. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So everybody keep an eye out for Jose's new album coming November, potentially. Uh, We'll record in November. So probably early 2025 will be out and it'll be a audio visual experience. So it'll be an audio version that you can just listen to it. It'll be fine. But then if you put the video in, it should be all of my audio visual displays that I'll have during the, because explaining how a wing works is nice when you have a wing, right? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, and the orbital dynamics portion of it, you'll have the video there. Uh, so there'll be some graphics that you can look at. And so you can watch the video on your TV and then also listen to it when you're driving. And you should get roughly the same experience, but obviously it's more enriched when you see it visually. Wow, that sounds... I'm, I'm really in, intrigued. That yeah, yeah, fun. so we'll see. I, can I get an hour of it to be funny? We'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, before we get out of here, Jose, is there anything else you want to plug more immediately? Or uh, You can go to josesardui.com, J-O-S-E-S-A-R-D-U-Y.com for my schedule and how everything's going. Um, I'm going to be putting out a new merchandise page with uh, this T-shirt will go on sale again, and then hopefully I'll have a... Um, uh, no way jose the tour shirt with all the tour dates in the back once the album is done and i tour that album which will be in 24 uh i do not have a merch page now i had an old one that i have erased <laughs> three times but people are still ordering stuff i don't know how you find it that's i'm telling you kids when you put something on the internet it never goes away i know because i'm still getting orders I honor the orders, but I write them back like, hey, how did you find this page? And they're like, I just Googled it. And I was like, I've Googled it and I don't see it come up. Uh, so I don't have a merch page, but I will uh, hopefully set that up in the next, uh, you know, next first quarter of next year. So that should be ready. So those are the big things right now. And then Sweet. Um, can't really talk about the specifics, but I got picked up for a show uh, as a regular on one of the streaming networks. Um, we got approved for eight episodes, so I will be. Congratulations! Uh, thank you. So I will be on a show. Uh, details to follow. So keep an eye out at josesardui.com or any of my uh, social media pages, which is just at Jose Sardui, J-O-S-E-S-A-R-D-U-Y. Awesome. Well, I think this is the end of our time here. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank Jose. you. Thank it you. was it's awesome always, to talk to you. It's always great to come to Provo. <laughs> <laughs> you probably have come to Provo more in your life than you I ever know. thought possible. Everybody's so nice here. It is <laughs> nice. I think they they want you to come back. Uh, that's what they do it for. We do. Right? Yeah. We do. Please come back to Provo. We have a... We have we have curse words in one place, <laughs> only on somebody's headphones. Otherwise, no cursing. It's really nice That's for right. the family. <laughs> and if you do, we'll frown. <laughs> That's a nice that man po- frown that politely. Man, what 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 darkness is inside? We'll know that of him you can do better. That he has to use those words. That's so. <laughs> well, thank you, Jose, for thank joining you for us. Me. Thanks, everybody. and and thank you, Driver Comedy Podcast viewers. Uh, Make sure to check our website out for new specials and merch, and we will catch you next time. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Everybody's so nice.